1 Corinthians chapter 12, if you turn there for a moment, there is a simple verse that's going to direct our attention today. And what I would like to do is get through uh, the material as, as quickly as possible because of all the lessons that we've been studying, this one might generate the most questions and the, the most important discussion. And frankly, it's pretty simple in terms of what I want to, to explain. And if it generates some questions, then we'll have it. First uh, Corinthians 12, Paul says now, verse 1, concerning spiritual gifts... I do not want you to be unaware. Any study of spiritual gifts has to start with that admonition. I don't want you to be unaware. Now, when you read the rest of the chapter, what he's basically saying is, I don't want you to be unaware of the the existence of spiritual gifts. But you'll find out really quickly, I don't want you to be unaware of your spiritual gifting and your spiritual giftedness. Spiritual gifts come from the Holy Spirit, according to verse 11. Verse uh, uh, 28, they come from God. God is the one who gives gifts to Christians for a specific purpose. 1 Peter 4.12 says, 1 Peter 4.10 rather, says that every believer has a spiritual gifts. And, uh, and they're basically broken down into two big categories. Speaking gifts and serving gifts. That's what Peter tells us. Speaking gifts are upfront gifts. They, that's what I'm doing today. It's, it's the gifts that serve the body of Christ from a public uh, format. Serving gifts are where really ministry happens most. And I think in the most intensive and best way. Serving gifts are the way that God has made you, gifted you, organized your personality, organized your affections, organized all of your gifts and your, your, um, uh, uh, your inclinations, your desires. He's organized you to serve the people in the church, serve the body of Christ, serving gifts. 1 Corinthians 4, excuse me, in our, here in 12, verses 4 to 7 say that these gifts are for the common good. Verse 12, for the edification of the church. And then back in 1 Peter 4, is to serve one another. But if you want to find a, um, if you want to have some debates, get a group of people together and start talking about spiritual gifts. And you will find out that there are many versions of understanding what spiritual gifts are. What makes me saddest is that when the discussion begins to be debated about spiritual gifts, it's typically around the charismatic gifts. Charismatic gifts being the supernatural, and we'll talk about those in a minute. But I think that that's a, that's a really good way to distract from the reality of what spiritual gifts are intended to be for and used for. We're talking about temporal and permanent gifts. That, that's one thing. But if that's all we talk about and we don't identify and talk about our spiritual gifts, we're missing verse one. Are you unaware of your spiritual gifts and gifting? Um, let me say something a little odd and back it up. You are God's gift to the church. Might sound funny. We kind of say that, you know, um, uh, you know, you think you're God's gift to women. Actually, if you're a husband, you're God's gift to a woman. Or you're God's gift to men, you're God's gift to a man. There, God has included you in his gifting. Now, the spiritual gifts in Scripture, let me just give you a list. I don't expect you to write these down. You can find them in any study Bible or just Google it. Prophecy, exhortation, mercy, service, giving, teaching, leading, wisdom, healing, distinguishing of spirits, knowledge, uh, effecting of miracles, 
various kinds of tongues, faith, prophecy, interpretation of tongues, healing. And then there's another uh, second half of um, uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. There's healing helps, administrations, various kinds of tongues, and miracles. There's kind of a different phrasing of some of those he's already talked about. I think there's another, the way to break this down is historically and biblically, you can look at the gifts as some were temporary and some were permanent. By temporary, some of the gifts that were of the miraculous nature, I believe the Bible teaches and historic history verifies that those uh, went out of existence with the closing of the canon. Now, let me explain to you that for a moment. We have to get into this. We're not gonna go very deeply because when we get to Romans chapter 12, we're gonna go full bore on this. But look over at chapter 13. This boils down to two categories of understanding about gifts. There are cessationists and there are continuationists. Those who are continuationists would much rather be called um, continuationists than non-cessationists. Cessation means you believe that certain gifts ceased at a certain point in time. Continuationist means that you believe all the gifts continue into this time. Now, every person who believes the Bible is ultimately a cessationist. How do you know that? Verse, chapter 13, verse 8. He's talking about love, love never fails. But if there are gifts of three miraculous, prophecy, they will be done away. You know they're going to cease. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. So everyone has to admit that sometime, somewhere, someday, all of those are going to cease. The Bible says that. The question then becomes, when does that happen? You gotta keep reading. We know in part and prophesy in part, but when the teleos, the perfect comes, the partial will be done away with. Interesting that, that uh, he calls these three gifts partial. Now here's the question. And I, want to try to, I wish I had a whiteboard. I could probably illustrate this better. But let me see if I can just draw it in your mind. You have this big list of uh, a dozen, 14 gifts, okay? Out of that gift, out of that, this, strong, this, this big list, Paul brings out three. He brings three out of that and he only talks about three. Knowledge, prophecy, tongues. Why did he only pick those three out of the list of a dozen or so? He calls these three gifts down in verse 10 partial. Means they only give part of the story. So the question is, if they're a part, what are they a part of? Knowledge, prophecy, and tongues all have to do with revelation. And they are only partial and they are partial in reference to that which is, what he says here, when the perfect comes. Now, many people um, interpret the perfect as the coming of the Lord. The next passage talks about the coming of the Lord. I understand that. I don't like that interpretation, however, because if that's the case, now follow my logic here. You have the big list. You have three. When Jesus comes, these three go away, but these keep going. But there's some in here that have to do with responses to sin, helps, administration, uh, things that are in disorder that need to be ordered, which will not be needed when Jesus comes, which makes me think, I don't think that the perfect is Jesus. Let me say that. 
Jesus is perfect. I don't think the perfect here is Jesus or the return of Christ. I think that the best way to understand this is two different ways. He's either talking about the perfect in reference to the Corinthian church. Perfect means mature. When you're mature enough, you won't need these partial. But I think the best way to understand this is it's the Bible. It's the closing of the canon because the reference is when the mature thing comes, it will replace the partial thing. What's the partial thing? Tongues, knowledge, prophecy. Those have to do with revelation. When the perfect comes, which gives all of God's revelation, you won't need any of the partial anymore. Seems pretty, pretty logical to me. And, and by the way, tongues aren't talked about in Romans 12, which was much after this, so in which the canon was getting finished. We'll talk about that more um, uh, specifically when we get to uh, Romans 12. All to say this, what does knowledge do? It reveals something that you didn't know. That's what the Bible does. What does prophecy do? It tells you what God thinks. That's what the Bible does. What, what, what God says, that's what the Bible does. Tongues, what does tongues do? I'm trying to decide if we have time to do this. Well, let's talk about what tongues do for a minute, can we? Look over at chapter 14. Uh, because my charismatic friends, my continuationist friends, love chapter 12, love chapter 13, and sometimes don't get to chapter 14. Um, look at verse 21. People ask me all the time, do you believe that tongues could happen today where a person speaks in a known foreign language and someone hears the gospel and repents? And I say, I would believe that if it happens according to chapter 14. Let's look at the criteria for tongues. Verse 21. For in the law it is written, By men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people. You got two things going on there. You have a known foreign language, not gibberish, not she came in a Honda, I want a bow tie. That's, I, have a, I have a little booklet, a little coloring book that teaches children how to speak in tongues by saying, say this phrase, she came in a Honda and I want a bow tie. If you say those over and over fast, that will prime your, your spirit man and teach you how to speak in tongues. I'm not making that up. She came in a Honda, I want a bow tie. She came in a Honda, I want a bow tie. If you say that over and over, it'll teach you how to speak. It's tragic if it wasn't so funny. Here we find out it's the men of strange tongues. That means foreign languages. I will speak to this people. Secondly, we find out not only is it a known foreign language, it's also intended to come and give the gospel to Jews. So when people say, do you believe in tongues? I say, okay, did someone say it in a known foreign language? And was there an unbelieving Jew in the room? That's my first two questions. Keep going. They are assigned, verse 22, uh, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. That means it's the gospel. It's evangelism. Um... Look down at verse uh, 27. If anyone speaks in a tongue, it should be by two or at the most three, each one in turn and one must interpret. Now we know this. No more than three people can do it. Only one at a time in order under the order oversight of the pastors and elders in the church. And there must be someone who knows that foreign language who can now interpret it so the rest of the congregation can hear what was said. And if they don't know it, maybe they have the gift of interpretation and they were able to say that, but it's verifiable by someone who knows the language. Specifically, the person who's hearing that gospel in their own language. Uh, Verse 20, 
8. If there's no interpreter, he must keep silent in the church. That's what leads some people to say it's you knew that a person knew, you know, Spanish or German or whatever, and if they weren't there, then just keep it to yourself. That's what Paul's saying. Keep silent. Uh, Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak. Let others pass judgment. No more than two or three. It has to be according to the word of God. Um, But look at verse, let me find it here. Verse 34, the women are to keep silent in the churches. They're not permitted to speak, nor are, uh, but are to subject themselves just as the law says. The issue is not in the context where a woman can never talk in the church. We don't have women keep silent signs over all the doors. The issue is in the context of knowledge, prophecy, and tongues. Women aren't allowed to do that. According to Paul. So this is what I say to my friends. They say, do you believe in tongues? And I say, hmm. If we were in a place where a, a Jew who didn't know English or the, the church I was in. Uh, maybe I'm in Spain. They didn't know Spanish. Let's say that a Jew shows up. This people. The Jew shows up. Doesn't know that language. Someone then stands up and tells them the gospel in their language. Never more than two, three. Always in order. Not, not a woman. And they hear the gospel. Wow, I'd say that, that looks like biblical tongues to me. I have never heard anything close when people are talking about tongues. That's why I'm saying chapter 14 has to matter, right? So why did it pass away? Because we don't need it anymore, the gift of tongues and prophecy and knowledge, because we have what God has said. He has said everything he needs to say in this book. So that's the partial Tongues, knowledge, prophecy. That's done away when the perfect, the complete, mature version of, uh, of uh, God's word comes and um, uh, becomes the standard. That's the word canon, the standard, the rule by which we now define our faith. Big question about healing. Um, does God still heal? I-, I hope so. I think so. I believe so. I pray so. Um, I... I- doesn't say that healing goes away. It says healers go away. Those who have that gift and can heal. You say, how can you prove that? Isn't it interesting that Paul had the gift of healing early in Acts, and yet when you come to Second um, Timothy, he's praying that um, you know his uh, that Epaphroditus, you know, he's sick unto death, right? He says, well, why, why, just heal him, Paul. Why did he tell Timothy, take a little wine for your stomach? Why didn't he just go heal his stomach? Because that gift was dying out. Because the closing of the canon of scripture, I think, was coming. Now, that's where most of the discussion goes when we're talking about gifts. And it's an important discussion. I just think it's less important than we're talking about what exists and what doesn't. How about what we know exists? The permanent gifts. Well, the question is, what are your gifts? Now, there are two main views on this, and I want to tell you that I'm somewhere stuck in midair between them. View number one is God has wired your personality in a certain way. The way he's wired you in the hands of the flesh can be a destructive thing. It could probably be good in business or good in athletics or whatever, but it's not honoring the Lord. But in the hands of the Spirit, he uses how he's made you to bless the body and to edify the church. That's view one, that you're who you are. When you become saved, God uses who you are spiritually, and that's your gift. 
View number two is that when you get saved, you get brand new desires, even personality traits, gifting, giftings, um, uh, abilities that you never had before you were a Christian. I've heard of people who were really shy. They, didn't, they, they weren't very um, uh, amiable socially and, and they get converted and they, they end up, their personality almost uh, turns inside out and they become very extroverted and become pastors and preachers and I've seen that happen, I've heard of it happening. I think that can happen. But I also think part of it is you're who you are and in the hands of the Spirit of God, that's a pretty mighty thing. So God can do supernatural things in you and God will do supernatural things with you. But the point is not, oh, um, any of you old enough to have, take, well, I shouldn't say old enough because I think they're still around. And I want to say this with, with great love and respect. Have you taken a spiritual gifts inventory test? How many of you have taken one of those? Boy, I took one. I took it, uh, in fact, as a part of a seminary class, I took it at the beginning of the semester and at the end and found that I was gifted in two different ways beginning to end, however you answer the the, the questionnaire. Those are helpful in some ways, but can I just ask you to think in a different category? Look at this list and just try them all. Try anything. Just serve and see where you're good. Where is God blessing you? Don't just say, well, we're not going to have anybody over to our house because I really don't have the gift of hospitality. That's lame. I'm not going to help anybody because I'm not gifted with helps. And then this is one, there's the gift of giving, which means you're taking care of people's needs. Well, I don't have enough money to have the gift of giving. It says nothing about your means when it talks about the gift of giving, only your heart and your ability. My, and I don't know that the list in 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, and 1 Peter 4 are exhaustive. The question is, are you using who you are, your spiritual and your physical and your mental and your, all of your capabilities, are you using that to serve God specifically horizontally with the body of Christ? That's the nature of spiritual gifts. They build each other up. They serve each other. They care for each other. They minister to one another's needs. Romans 12, 6 to 8, since we have gifts that differ according to the grace given to us each of us is to exercise them accordingly if prophecy according to the proportion of his face if service in his serving he who teaches teaches he who teaches in his teaching he who exhorts in his exhortation he who gives with liberality he who leads with diligence he who shows mercy with cheerfulness in other words exercise your gift now since your spiritual giftedness is to be exercised in love that's first corinthians 13, 1 to 7, all things are to be done in love. Um, there are guidelines that are listed in that about how you are to use your spiritual gifts. Specifically 15 in 1 Corinthians 13, which is in between the gifts and the qualifications in 14. Love is patient, kind, you know the, the, the passage. But think about this. Your spiritual gift is to be done with patience, kindness, no jealousy, no bragging, no arrogance, not taking account of wrongs suffered, not rejoicing in unrighteousness, rejoicing with the truth, bearing all things, believing all things, hoping all things, enduring all things. There's no rudeness, no insisting on one's own way, no irritability, no, no resentful words. In other words, it's done with an attitude of love, love, love. All so that Ephesians 4 the proper working of each individual part causes the body to 
grow. So, I did it. I did it pretty faster than I thought. I know that's going to uh, that's going to raise lots of questions. So this is a time we can just talk. Questions about spiritual gifts, finding yours, what it is. And I like the way MacArthur talks about this. He says a spiritual gift is like a palette, a painter's palette, and there's all these colors, and God takes a little bit of each and then makes you that special color. It's not that you can only do those spiritual gifts. You may have a little part of this and a little part of that, but it's how you serve the body of Christ. That's, that's the key.